We're in the book of Acts, chapter 8. If you um, read that paragraph and understand it, praise the Lord. If you read that with our brother and you're still left wondering, what does that mean? Um, I grew up in a church, not a gospel-preaching church, but a church that we said this every single week. Behold, the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world. It's from John chapter uh, 1. It's John the Baptist pointing at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the scapegoat, the Passover lamb, um, and that's what John was getting at. John's referencing um, Exodus 12, Exodus 13. So that's what we mean. So those in the Old Testament, Christ is set forth in type and shadow. He's there. And in the New Testament, the substance has come. Okay, Acts chapter 8, verse 25 through 40. Hear the perfect word of our perfect God. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. They were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah, then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a, a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he began preaching Jesus to him. And they went along the road, there came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Jesus said, If you believe with your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water. Philip is well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found him as uh, Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are our Father, and we are your children upon the earth. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have mercy upon me as the herald, the preacher, that you would guide and govern me, that the thoughts of my mind and my heart, Lord, even my speech would be acceptable to you and profitable to your people. May I decrease, Lord Jesus Christ, and may you increase. We pray the same for all of us as the hearers of your word, that we wouldn't just be empty-headed hearers, but we would hear effectually, and we would prove our effectual hearing by faith, by being faithful doers of the word. Glorify thy name in all the earth, we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm going to say right away, it's a large passage. I'm not going to treat everything in this passage. Uh, particularly, I'm going to leave for another day, another sermon, the business of um, the sacrament, uh, baptism. I'm not dodging it. There's just too much for me to handle properly. 
I, I, I have a, a particular purpose in mind for what we're looking at. But what I'd like to do by way of setting the stage for what we're looking at, obviously it's in the Bible. And most of us I know, some of us I don't know. I want to take a step back and talk about something very, very basic. They're preaching the word of the Lord. And so it's necessary for us to, to talk about what the Bible is. Um, the Protestants, Protestant Reformation had as one of its hallmarks the Sola Scriptura. When we speak of the, about the Bible, which is what they're pre preaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord, uh, we maintain, because the Bible maintains about itself, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, there's a section 14 through 17. It's spirit-breathed. The Holy Spirit, in a mysterious way, there are lots of theories on how this is affected, but I don't know. I know the truth of it. I don't know how it worked. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the minds, the tongues, the pens of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles that they, they spoke and wrote the very words of the very God. And, and that inspired word of God, God has placed in this book, and the Bible consists of 66 books. I know the Church of My Youth has a few more, but we're Protestants, 66 books, 39 Old Testament books, and then uh, 27 New Testament and we're going to see that they teach one general theme, which is the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible opens in Genesis chapter 3 with a gospel promise that God will send one who will crush the head of the serpent, crush the kingdom of the devil, and to set God's people free. This one is the seed of the woman. And as you go through scripture, we'll see that it's the seed of Abraham. And as you go through the seed of the scripture, it will be the seed of David, even Jesus Christ. If you've read the Bible and you're a Christian, I hope you've read the Bible and you're a Christian, then you will know that Jesus says to the fellows on the road to Emmaus, chapter 24 of Luke, that the whole Old Testament was pointing towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 24. Everything is about Christ. Pointing to Christ. And Christ as an atoning sacrifice. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that Jesus Christ has come to put down the kingdom of the devil. To crush the works of the devil. Isaiah 61, to set the captives free. So for spiritual purposes, am I aware that when Christ comes back on the last day, that he'll renovate everything? Yes, I am. But my particular eschatological position is he's not busy making America heaven or India heaven or Africa heaven right now. His purpose is to seek and to save the lost. And when he comes back on the last day, the kingdoms of men will become the kingdoms of Christ and then sin will be utterly no more. But that's for another day. But that's the, the main purpose. So the Bible is to direct sinners to the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me say something. What I just referenced there is what we would call special revelation, redemptive re revelation, salvific revelation. And it shows God as a, a merciful and a loving and a kind and a powerful Savior to sinners. That's what the Bible is about. I know sometimes people say, well, the God of the Bible is mean. He's angry. He's full of wrath. God's not mean. It's a bad thing to call God mean. A synonym of that is austere. And the, the fellow who says to God, you're an austere, you're a mean, you're a harsh master, is the one talented fellow, and he doesn't make it into heaven. So it's a bad idea to call God mean or austere. Now, does God have wrath? God has wrath. Um, is God holy? God is holy. Is there such a thing as hell? There certainly is. But the reason that 
God the Father sent his Son is to pay for our sins. So he, Christ took hell on himself, as it were, on the cross, which is the consummate picture of love, as John says in 1 John chapter 3. But there's another way that God reveals himself. And as Protestants, we don't believe that a person can come to know God savingly by looking at what's called natural revelation. But the church in my youth uh, does believe that. In other words, when people look outside and they see the wind and the waves, the sun, the moon, those kind of things, even a child being born, that's natural revelation. In that aspect of revelation, God reveals himself to man, not as a savior, but as the creator as a powerful creator, as an all-wise creator, and even as a good creator. And so that revelation is enough to make all men culpable. That is to say, guilty before God. All men know that there is a God, but they don't love him or know him savingly. This is a Romans 1, Romans 2, Psalm 119, uh, excuse me, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory. Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So one form of revelation tells everyone that there is a God. So properly, there's no atheists. So if you, have a, if you have a brother-in-law that says he's an atheist, he's not really. He knows in the recesses of his heart and mind that there's a God, and it's not him. Because that's natural revelation. You can't get away from it. But only this book, which, which is why the people are going around sharing the word of the Lord, only this book brings us into a loving, reconciled relationship with the author of this book. And so that's why these folks are going around sharing the word of the Lord. It is redemptive or salvific revelation of God seeking and saving the lost. Now, we, we talked about the Old Testament pointing to Christ. The Gospels, if you, I'm sure you know this, but I, it, uh, to, to appear overly simple, the four Gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are specifically about Christ has come. And they reveal to us that Jesus Christ has two natures. He's the second person of the eternal Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, but he's fully God and fully man. In one person, born of the Virgin, uh, she, she conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So he was born of her in a special way, yet without any sin. If you ask me exactly how this works, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that, that it did happen. Fully God, fully man. And this God-man, this Emmanuel, The Bible shows us in the Gospels not only his perfect nature and his unique nature, but his his ultimate work. Sometimes you say, well, why did Jesus come? Many years ago, I performed marriages, among other things. And I love doing pre-marriage counseling, as I've said many, many times. Regular marriage counseling is not so fun. But pre-marriage counseling is fun because everybody's clueless. Um, And in the clueless phase, I was examining, because the Bible says that I'm only to marry a believer to a believer. And an unbeliever to a believer or an unbeliever to an an unbeliever, I tell them to go to the town hall, not in a mean way, um, but the Bible tells me, uh, marry only in the Lord. And so I officiate. Uh, And so I I give people quizzes, gospel quiz. And it's very basic. I don't ask you about Presbyterianism about infralapsarianism, nothing like that. I ask you about Jesus. Tell me about you and Jesus. And many years ago, I asked a a fellow, um, so why did Jesus come? And he said, lots of reasons. And I said, well, just give me one. And I'm throwing beach balls, wanting this guy to tell me why Jesus could come because I knew the girl wanted to marry him. And he missed the beach ball. He said, this is like a test. And I said, it's like a test. (laughs) 
You're failing. You're failing. Why did Jesus come? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? He shall save his people from their what? Go ahead, say it. Sins. It's this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does he do other things? He does other things and everything he does is wonderful. But he's seeking, his, he's, he's busy atoning for the sins of his people. And so the book of Acts is really the continuation. Uh, it's really the working out of the, of the gospel, uh, the great commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And telling them what? Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves Jews. This is uh, Acts 1, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Jesus is busy saving Jews. Stephen says in uh, Acts 6 and Acts 7, what? It's Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And then in Acts chapter 8, what do we see? The kingdom is, is going on. And the next thing you know is the gospel ministers are being scattered because the unbelieving Jews are persecuting the believing Jews. And so the unbelieving Jews get scattered. And what's the first thing they do? They tell everybody about Jesus. And then they tell a bunch of Samaritans about Christ. And Samaritans are kind of in this middler position. They're an amalgamation, which is a fancy word for mix. So that it was Jews intermarrying with Gentiles, particular kind of Gentiles, but Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus is, is saving these people. And now, now this brings us all the way to the, this passage. And who do we meet with this in this passage? An Ethiopian eunuch. And some of your texts may say Cushite. He's an African. So Jesus is busy seeking and saving Jews. He's be, busy seeking and saving Gentiles. And these mixed up Gentiles at that, the Assyrians. And now who is he going to save here? A fellow from Africa. The, when you look at the Great Commission, Jesus says to all the nations, if I could just look at a macro, if we could just have your macro level glasses on when you look at this passage, what is it saying to you? So is Jesus saving just four guys named Joe and their house cat over in a corner? If you go to a church that says that, you should leave that church immediately. And if you say, well, Jesus is only saving white folks or black folks or red folks or yellow folks or rich folks, if, if, they, have, if they kind of hyphenate it, who he's seeking and saving and loving, you need to leave. Like, leave, leave, leave. The first epistle of John says, if you see a Christian says, oh, I love God who I can't see, but they hate their brother that they can see. For, for these other reasons, they're a liar and the love of God is not in them. What we're seeing here is the, is the working out of God's gospel promise. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Genesis 28. In the seed of Abraham, all, ready? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. All? Revelation 5, 9, one of my favorite verses. I love it, love it, love it. Jesus is busy saving from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And is he going to make them a bunch of hyphenated little flocks that live only with the folks that look like them? No. He's taking all these folks from all over the planet. He's going to bring them to himself and then stick them in one flock. So it doesn't matter if you're Asian, European, African. Jesus is in the saving sinners business. And so the good news is, if you're not a sinner, you don't even need to be here. If you're not a sinner, you should be off playing golf. If you're not a sinner, you don't need Jesus. But if you are a sinner, I have good news for you. Jesus saves sinners. Now, why did I put it that way? I'm not the only guy to ever say, there are some people who say, I'm not really a sinner. 
I'm a good person. I always do good things. You can meet gobs of them. That's why you lock your door at night. Because they don't know what they're talking about. Everyone's a sinner. And so what we're looking at here is, it's not universal redemption, but God is busy. The gospel goes out to every tribe, tongue, people, the whole world. And we're looking at the advance of the gospel. I'm going to say something which is not stunning, but living things live. Um, Christ lives. He, he died for our sins. He rose again. Revelation 1, Revelation 2. He lives never to die again. And the moment we believe we're joined spiritually to Jesus Christ. And so, so even when we die, we still live in heaven. We have the life of the triune God in us. And now collect that's individually. And then collectively, this is a spiritual business. You can't kill the church. You cannot kill the true church. You can't, you can't kill a true Christian. You can't stop a true You can't separate the life of God from us. Romans chapter 8. You can't separate the love of God. And so as the church is crushed, was it Tortillian? This is why he said the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So they're busy trying to stomp out the church, but what does that do? It sends them everywhere. And where do these Christians go? Remember a Christian is a devotee, a disciple of Jesus, Mathetes is disciple of. We're walking, talking lovers of Christ. So the text says, Philip runs around preaching the word of God, the gospel of Christ. What's the first thing he, he preaches to the Ethiopian? Jesus. It's the same thing with, with, with Stephen, who was martyred earlier. Who, who's he telling them? Jesus. Again, if you go to church and they hyphenate it and they say it's only us people with this much melanin or this kind of melanin, you need to leave. They're nuts. They're not reading the Bible. And the, the, the other thing that you see is if you're going to a church and you don't hear Jesus, you're not hearing the name Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of your own understanding, to use the phrase from AA, the, the Bible Jesus. If it's something like, well, you've got to keep the 67 rules. If you keep the 67 rules, you're good. You need to leave. When you read the Bible, Jesus sends out my servants to do what? To tell them about Christ. And I'm not talking to be ridiculous, just sticking the word Jesus in every other word. But Paul is preaching Christ. Stephen's preaching Christ. Philip's preaching Christ. It's Jesus that saves us. It's Jesus that we have the, 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 the union restored to the Father and, and so on. And so the, the, the call will go out. Um, and, and the way that God seeks and saves is through the, the preaching of, 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 of Christ. And so we see these kind of things. Now, I was going to look at one man in particular, namely the eunuch, and we'll still look at the eunuch, but there are really two men in our passage, and today we're going to kind of look in a macro sense concerning this passage. There are two men. We have Philip the evangelist, and then we have uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And I, I, don't, I'm, I don't mean to be indelicate, but, and I don't mean to speak down to anyone. I, I'm assuming that people know what a eunuch is. If you know what a eunuch is, just shake your, like, go like this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah a, 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 a eunuch is a gelding, a human gelding. That probably just confused the daylights out of you. But, but, it, but anyways, so we're looking at Philip the Evangelist, and then we're looking at, we're, we're looking at, uh, yeah, he's shaking his head. I did confuse. And we're looking at the Ethiopian. And this is written for our instructions. So what is God teaching us? He's teaching us the advance of the gospel. Certainly, we learn that. Um, but as these people go out, they're ministering the words of the Lord, 
the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, the Bible, the gospel, is sometimes referred, the gospel in particular, the words of eternal life. The very, very, very basic thing, and this is about biblical Christianity. There are lots of forms of Christianity. And I don't mean Baptist, Episcopalian, Methodist, Presbyterian. I don't mean that. Those are denominations, and denominations using a denominational title can can be um, good and profitable when you use them rightly. It can be bad and not profitable when you misuse them. But what I mean is there are, are true forms of Christianity. That is to say, they preach a real Christ, a real gospel. They tell you the truth according to the Bible. Then there are false forms. And the false forms will say like this, uh, Jesus is a swell fellow. Um, you could go to heaven by listening to Buddha, Muhammad. There are Christian churches, Christian churches, with the name church that will tell you those things. That's not a true church. So when you hear the word preached, and someone telling you about Jesus, make sure you're a Berean with the book of Acts, Acts 17, what is it, verse 11 or 17, 13? Prove it from the Bible. Is it the Jesus of the Bible? I was raised in a Christian church, but it wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. It was a Jesus that was always subordinate to his mother, which is not the Christ of the Bible. Jesus says, the Bible says, that Christianity is evangelical. Is evangelical. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Evangelical, even, it comes from the root word, good news. Biblical Christianity is about giving the good news of Jesus saving sinners away. Away. Again, I don't mean in an obnoxious way. I don't mean you have to go to the checkout line in Publix and say to the woman next to you, if you were to die tonight, why would God let you into his, in his heaven? Although that's not a bad question. <laughs> if God the Holy Spirit leads you to ask that person a question and then tell them about Jesus, good on you. But the Christian religion, according to the Bible, is meant to be evangelical. So if you're not a Christian, I don't know everyone here, if you're not a Christian, you think, why are those Christians, those born-agains, which is redundant, why are those born-agains always yammering about Jesus? And you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Why don't they just shut up and have their religion private at the house and be nice? You can't. You can't. You cannot. When the God of heaven and earth saves you and you're in a born-again, saved relationship with the God of heaven and earth, you have the words of eternal life and you're living among what kind of folk? People under the danger of eternal hell. There is not, there's not a parent here that if their child had cancer and you had the cure to cancer, there's not a parent here that wouldn't say, I've got the cure. And so the Christian faith, again, in a proper way, in a right way, the way that it grows is this. It's meant to be given away. So a a biblical Episcopalian church, a biblical Presbyterian church, a biblical Baptist church, Christians are compelled by the love of God in Christ to give Christ away. Again, as we saw, from the Jews to the Samaritans and to this fellow in Ethiopia. Now, with Philip, in particular, he's an evangelist. That's his place in the body. Not everyone in the body is a mouth. Read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God not only saves us in Christ, but then he places us in the body where he wants us. To some he gives, okay, you have this kind of gifts. And to uh, another person he says, you you have this kind of gifts. There are two men in this church in particular that I'm thinking of that have the gift of administration, especially with young men. 
And the gift of, of just guiding young men, almost as a coach, I don't have that gift. I just don't. And I look at these other men and think, oh, praise God for where he's placed these brothers in the body with these gifts. That's God placing us in the body. God placed Philip as a mouthpiece, as a herald. So not everyone is the preacher. This guy is the preacher. What would you think of a preacher that wouldn't preach? If the preacher won't preach, what? If you, have a, if you had a guard dog that wouldn't bark, what would you think? You're pitiful. You can be in the house, but you can't be a guard dog. And what you find about Philip the preacher, as you look at this passage, what's he doing? He's preaching. And I know this is going to seem ridiculously simple. He has been called by God, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, placed into the body of Christ for this purpose. Paul says, I have to preach. I have to tell people about Jesus because that's why God has saved me. That's who I am. I'm not arguing that you should go to the dog track. I think they used to have a dog track here or the horse track. I never went to the horse track. I went to the dog tracks all the time um, when I was a heathen. I'm not saying that you couldn't go to the dogs as a Christian. It's stupid. You're gambling stupid. It's just a waste of your, your money. But when you look at a greyhound and they're in the box and they're getting ready to go and watch the dog and look at that dog. We're not talking a dachshund. We're talking a greyhound. That greyhound has been bred to do what? To run. Philip has been born again in Christ to preach. There's a man who wrote during the killing times in Scotland. Uh, He called himself Rabbi Duncan. Just a talker. Philip is being, he's busy to the calling that Christ has given him. And by way of application, we should all kind of look at what kind of gifts has God given me? Has God given me the gift of of administration, the gift of mercy, the gift of serving. But I will say this. Not everyone is an official preacher, but every true believer here this morning, every true believer, you have the love of God in Christ. You know the gospel. Christ is in you, Galatians 2.20, and Christ will come out of you. And so as God has opportunity for you, as he has for Philip, we give Jesus away. We give Jesus away. And maybe as an application to an application. I pray this all the time. I wasn't always a minister. I've driven a truck. I've been a carpet cleaner. Every crubbing job under the sun as a believer. Pray for opportunities. Pray that God would send you people. And pray that God would give you the words and the courage to do what Philip is doing. It's a truism. Most of the people that we meet are in some way or another broken. They're hurting. Believer and unbeliever. Most people, if they let you close enough to them, they're hurting. Now, there are like maybe two guys named Fred who are on the mountaintop, sitting pretty, and everything's great. Maybe. But most of us, to some degree, if you let me in your life, you have a painful marriage, you have painful with your kids, you have painful with your mom and dad, you have pain in your body, you have pain on your jaw. We're in a measure of, of neediness, of hurt. We have the words of eternal life. We might not be able to take away the pain of the particular situation, but we can tell them about the one who is a sympathetic high priest. And we see that Philip, as he's busy preaching, he's imitating his his Christ. He's he's imitating. Why would God tell tell Jews, tell Samaritans, tell this African fellow, what what would make God 
send this gospel preacher to, to them? What, what is it about God that he sends out the gospel of his son to sinners? What is it? God is what? God is love. And I know you're going to say, well, Pastor John, you're really an Arminian weenie. You're not really a Calvinist. You're so squishy talking about the love of God. Oh, beloved, I have met more than a few of so-called Calvinists that need to be hit over the head with a love of God baseball bat. They think that Christianity is, if you can make it harder, it's more orthodox. That is, ready for the Greek word? Garbage. That is garbage. For God so what? He sent his only begotten son. Love. It's love. Why would God love Jewish sinners, Samaritan sinners, African sinners? Because God is love. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, God is kind and merciful to what kind of folk? Evil and ungrateful people. There are some folks who think, well, I'll come to Jesus when I get cleaned up. Do not do that. You'll never get cleaned up. Auto salvation is no salvation. That's no good news. You're never going to clean yourself up. It's What we're looking at in the evangelizing of this Ethiopian eunuch is God moving towards the man. If God left us alone, we would never move towards him. It's God's goodness. It's God's grace. It's God's love that changes us. And that's exactly what we're seeing. The Bible says that it's not that we loved him first, but that he what? He loved us first. And when did he die for us? While we were yet what? Enemies. That's what's going on. So we see the evangelist is being faithful to his call. He's a man after Christ's own heart. We see in verse 26 and then verse 29, the angel of the Lord is directing his path and the the spirit of the Lord takes him away. I I don't want to go too far afield, but what we're looking at is the direction of of God's man by God. This is before the close of the canon, uh, Hebrews 1 through 3. And so we're still in times where God is testifying of the truthfulness of his preached word with miracles. I'm a cessationist. That's another sermon. But the, but the, nation, the notion is now that the canon is closed, God is directing his people, in this case Philip, to go onto this desert road, which leads down to Egypt. Why is he putting him on the desert road? Because he has a man that he's sending him to. He's putting, providentially, he's guiding his man. Go on that road. Why? Just get on that road. I have a guy that you're supposed to talk to. You remember Jesus in John chapter 4? He's going up to Jerusalem. He says, I have to go where? Remember? Samaria. Well, you didn't have to go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. You could have gone another way. Why did he, go, why did he have to go to Samaria? He had to meet a woman there. What kind of woman? A really nice, godly woman, ups long hair, denim skirt, that kind of woman? No, she was a floozy. And he sent her to the floozy. And what? She's no longer a floozy. She's in heaven. God made her clean. Jesus didn't come to seek and to save the righteous. This is the danger of being a Pharisee. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm real. No, you're bad. We're all bad. Every one of us is the floozy. We're all the sinners. Jesus went to the sinner and said, woman, you're a sinner. And then she believed and he cleansed her. 
but he went to Samaria to get her. And God sent his man on this road that would have eventually led to Egypt to get this man. And I will just say this. This is the providential government of God. I'm a Yankee transplant. I moved to the South, I don't know, 32 years ago, a long time ago. And I had a particular plan in mind. And I thought I knew God's plan. Okay, I got the three-year plan, the five-year plan, the ten-year. I knew everything that God was going to do. Guess what happened that I came, that I thought? None of it. But God had a plan. He's going to take an ex-Catholic, married to an ex-Hindu, and send him to the deep south and say, here, there you go. Here's my plan. Why? Because I have work for you to do. Beloved, this is the God of heaven and earth directing his man to a particular fellow. It was Martin Luther that said, God is so sovereign that he directs even the, the, the dust that flies off the ark's cart. Now, can we always understand what God's doing in our life? No, we can't. And I'm with J.I. Packer. There's a ton of stuff that we'll never figure out what God's doing in this life, but I'm sure we will in the next. But beloved, in Jesus Christ, not only does God bring us to Christ and save us in Christ, he governs everything. And he's going to work everything for our good and the glory of Jesus. And for the preacher, he finishes preaching to the Samaritans and what happens next? He chases them off and puts them on a path to go to this Ethiopian, which is um, obviously part of Africa. And so now um, the road that he's on, Gaza, Gaza is about, uh, I don't know, what is it, 60 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And Gaza, in the Old Testament times, was a, uh, was a, a, a place of um, geography that belonged to the Philistines. And so here is this road that will eventually get to Egypt, it's running through the land of the Philistines, and here comes God sending his uh, preacher. So he meets this particular fellow. As I've mentioned, um, the Ethiopian is an African. Some of your translations will say Cushite. Uh, He's a Cushite. Should I say this? Yeah, I'll say this. This, uh, this is just an aside. Moses was married to a Cushite woman, Ethiopian, and um, Numbers chapter 11. So not only is God busy seeking and saving from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation, he's busy making them one flock. There are some people, this is, this is just as an aside, there are some people who say, the pure race this, the pure race that, is so obnoxious to me. If you even quasi-think this view, repent of it right now and never tell me, because I, I really, really don't like this view. It's not biblical at, at all. We're all. We all descend from two folk or eight people that get off a boat everybody. There is a view that even some so-called reformed people, it's this, this view called kinism, kin family. It's utterly obnoxious. It's utterly obnoxious. Moses was married to a black girl from Africa. And Moses' sister was ragging on the black girl from Africa. And God said, if you have a problem with her skin, I'm going to zap you white as snow. So let's just be, let's be good, good Bereans. And, and God's busy saving folk from everywhere and making us one family under one Christ. Amen to that? No extra charge. Okay, so he meets this fellow, this eunuch. I think he's a Gentile. Um, John Stott doesn't think he's a Gentile. He is either a Gentile full convert to Judaism, which means he would have got circumcised, or he's a Gentile um, God-fearer, as sometimes the book of Acts will say. It's a person that drew near to the Lord as a Gentile, but didn't get circumcision. So it was a near convert. But either way, this man, under the Old Testament epoch, 
he would not have had full communion with God. He would have been prohibited because he was a eunuch. And so what we're looking here is the advance of the kingdom, but it's the, the greater spirituality and blessings found in the administration of the gospel and the New Testament. So he meets this particular Ethiopian. The Ethiopian in view, and I don't want to go too long, he has things which we, we esteem and we admire, and then he has some things which perhaps we weep over. He is a very, very wealthy man. He is the treasurer to the queen of, uh, uh, of Ethiopia. Um, some people think that Candace is a term, not a, a personal name, but a title that would have been ascribed to the, the queen mother. But wh- whatever it is, he has a high position, and he's obviously wealthy and learned. And um, there's a place in the Bible, uh, a number of places, will say, not, how hard is it for a rich guy to get into the kingdom of heaven? It's harder for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich guy to go through heaven, to get into heaven. How hard is it for a poor man to get into heaven? The Bible says not many real Christians are rich. God is busy pulling from the bottom of the barrel. So if you think he's going to get the, the, the top of the barrel, there's no top of the barrel, by the way. There's no top of the barrel. <laughs> show me your cousin who thinks he's top of the barrel and let me at his house for five minutes and I'm going to show you he's at the bottom of the barrel. Right? Right. But God is busy saving from the bottom of the barrel. Not many poor, not many wise. First uh, Corinthians 1, 27-31, a bunch of nothing sinners. But every once in a while, God says, I'm going to save a rich man. I'm going to save, I'm going to save a rich man. I'll save Abraham. And he saved this man. This man is rich. And Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. So it's not like every rich man in the world is going to go to hell. God says, you're going to be rich in worldly things, and I'm going to make you rich in faith in Christ. And so here's the good news. If we take some of those other statements as hyper-literal, then there's no hope for the rich sinner. So if you meet a rich sinner, what can you tell them? Jesus will save even rich sinners. So he has this high position. He's an elevated position. But then we see that he's also a eunuch. No one gets out of life, believer or unbeliever, without any crosses. Sometimes we look at ourselves and think, I'm Job, I've got the worst cross in the entire world, and no one else has a cross. That's not true. Would you take this guy's money, guys, uh, guys, every guy here, would you take this guy's money in position if I had to make you a eunuch to get it? No. No, you'd rather be a ditch digger. So God gives him one thing And then in God's providence, he has this other intense cross. But because of this intense cross, he's a eunuch. He's the courtier. The king would not have let the guy who was not a eunuch be the queen's treasurer. So in God's providence, this man has a horrible cross, a horrible lack, but it puts him in this particular position. And then God is busy orchestrating everything to put him right here, right in the path of Philip. So as Christians, Christian to Christian, when look at your crosses, look at your afflictions, whatever they may be this morning, look at them through the lenses of Jesus. What, is, what good thing will Jesus do through your painful cross? What is he doing? The painful cross drives us off of our sin, off of ourself, and it drives us to Jesus. How could that painful thing be a blessing? You could say, I could never see this as a blessing. Well, beloved, I'm going to give you one just generically, and I don't know what you're going through. 
You could be mourning, 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 mourning over a thing. God in Christ could take you and bring you to another person who's mourning a very similar thing. I struggled, I've said this many times, as a young guy with drugs and mainly with alcohol. And so I have a certain affinity for people that struggle with those things. And there's a, there's a, a desire for me to minister Christ to those people. But you may have struggled with other things. You are the serviceable instrument to go to them because of that cross. That's why God says everything will work together for the good. It's not that it's pleasant. It could be intensely painful. But you who have wept at the feet of Christ know the comfort of Christ and you could go to a fellow mourner. mourner. The evangelist comes to him and here is the, the, the courtier. He's in his chariot. He's, he's just been off to one of the pilgrim feasts and he's reading the book of Isaiah 56, I think 7 and 8. This, this is important. J.C. Rowell, my favorite devotional writer, says a man is what he is, not only alone, but what he does at night. He says, show me what a man does after work and I'll show you the man. This is super convicting. Because we go about our daily work and we do our daily job and then we get at home and do what? We fool around on YouTube till we fall asleep. This man is redeeming the time. He would, most Christians, of course, I'm preaching to the choir, you can't get him to church with a pistol. You can't pay him enough money to go to church. This guy goes to worship, and what's he doing when he's coming back from worship? He's reading the Bible. I, I, I want to show you something. Jesus says, ask, seek, and what? Go ahead, finish it. Knock. God is not only sovereign in the ends. He's going to bring the elect to Christ. He's sovereign in the means. This guy is not looking at the sun, the moon, the wind, and the waves to become converted to Christ. He's not reading the newspaper. What is he looking at? The Bible. The Bible isn't Jesus. Baptism is not Jesus. It's pointing us to Christ. And he's reading Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is is on the essence of the gospel of Jesus, on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And he's reading it, and the Holy Spirit brings him up there, and and the the eunuch asks him, Philip says, do you know what you're reading? Now, I I want you to think of this. Philip is a preacher. He's an evangelist. He's the teacher of God's word. He's the the gospeler of Christ's good news. And he says, do you know what you're reading? Now, look at who he's he's asking. This guy is rich and powerful. And he says, do you even understand what you're reading? I want you to think about that for a second. Rich, powerful people, do they tend to be humble, super... I don't know what I don't know. Why don't you teach me? No, they don't. No. No. Pride keeps a lot of people from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride keeps a lot of people from sitting under the ministry of this guy. This guy knew Christ and the other guy didn't. Well, I'm, I'm rich and powerful and you're not. But I know Christ and I know the word of God. And what do we, we see the Holy Spirit's already working on this guy. He says what? No, I don't know. Will you tell me? And then he opens up Isaiah 53. We like sheep have gone what? Astray. And Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the atoning sacrifice. He opens up the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. I met someone the other day and 
any, if I've mentioned this before. If you're a serviceman or you have a serviceman and they come to this church for anything, bug guy, speaker guy, electric guy, plumbing guy, you, you, not only I'm going to follow you around and I'm going to look to tell you about Jesus. And a fellow said, well, Presbyterians, Presbyterian, Presbyterian, I'm thinking of going to church. My kids go to church. Probably good that I should go to church. Presbyterian, what's that mean? I said it means rule by elder, but that's another, that's, that's other stuff. Let's talk about sin so I can talk about the Savior. So we can talk about this one. And it, he says after he left that place, he went around preaching what? Jesus. And I'm going to say this. He left that man reading the Bible in ignorance. And when he was taken away, what was the Ethiopian eunuch doing? He was rejoicing. Why was he rejoicing? Because Christ had forgiven him. Because Christ had reconciled him to the Father. Because he knows God in Christ. He's born again. Beloved, being in church is not the same thing as being in Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know what it means to be forgiven by Christ? Are you happy? Do you rejoice in him? that you've been reconciled to the Father through the blood of the Lamb. And I have no doubt something very good was going to happen with this guy. Where was this guy going after this? Back home. And what was he going back home with? Jesus. He's going back home with the gospel. You see how God builds his kingdom? Some folks come here once and they never come back, but I know what they're leaving here with. Jesus. Beloved, may we love him, may we know him, may we live for him, and may we tell the whole world about him. Amen? May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.